The Athletic. Qatar list. Day 14 of the World Cup. The USA face their biggest orange menace since the 2020 election and get trumped by Van Hal's Netherlands. Elsewhere, Messi marks his 1,000th match with some classic moments of magic as Oz come to the end of their yellow brick road. We review all of that and look ahead to Sunday's tasty lineup, France, Poland, and we'll be hearing from Demba Bar on England, Senegal. It's totally at the World Cup, sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Day 14 at the World Cup. Today's totally listener has got Tim Spears here in the studio. Hello. Hi, Tim. And out in the mysterious east, it's Michael Cox. Michael, tell us about the room that you're currently in. <laughs> I'm in the media centre in Doha at uh, quarter past midnight. And it's it's probably the biggest room I've ever been in. It's absolutely huge. Wow. And there's about... Can you turn people. your camera around? I was going to say, it doesn't look that big from, yeah. from, from the view we've got. Oh, I can try. I'm plugged Listen, into you might be able to see this there. on our YouTube channel, which is definitely worth checking out. Because Michael's rotating his... Jeez, it just goes on and on and on. I didn't think Qatar was that big. <laughs> yeah, this room and Doha and Qatar are actually all the same size. Jeez. Um, well, there you go. That's one thing we learned today. What are some of the others? On day 14, the day, if you like, the World Cup got serious. Last 16 began. We had Netherlands 3, USA 1 in the afternoon, which means that Louis van Gaal's side next Friday will face Argentina after they, Saturday night, defeated Australia 2-1. Argentina, Netherlands, 1998 and all that. Next Friday, and of course we're looking forward to another set of Last 16 games on the Sunday featuring England, but the, the other, well, the biggest story really on, on Saturday, perhaps the fact that Pele, who, as we know, has been seriously ill for some time, has now been moved to palliative care, as you've no doubt heard, listener. So that really overshadowing uh, events in Qatar, the, 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 biggest, the biggest name perhaps ever in football and an absolutely splendid chap. Our very, very best wishes to him and all of his. Anyway... On to Argentina, Australia. Ahí va Leo, amaga el centro, vino para Macalister, pegale, Macalister para quién, para Messi. Gol! That was Leo Messi opening the scoring in Saturday night's Argentina-Australia clash, which finished 2-1. One or two nervous moments at the end for the Albi Celeste, but one message to take from this game Michael look out World Cup Messi started having fun again yeah I, I think he was uh, I think there were flashes of brilliance as well in the group stage but yeah he played well tonight um, I didn't think they well they didn't create anything really before his opening goal although I did think they were actually moving the ball very quickly I thought it was a, a first half where both teams played quite well I think Australia did what they had to do they were very compact they are very solid they are quite aggressive and even though Argentina weren't really breaking them down, I think they were constantly shifting them. But yeah, obviously a fantastic goal from, from Messi, a fairly classic Messi goal. I love the way it was teed up as well. Was it Otamendi with the with the touchback, just kind of playing almost a hold-up target man role briefly, just doing whatever you've got to do to get Messi in, uh, 
in the situation he wants to be in. Um, but yeah, it was a lovely goal. Messi had so many roles to play in that goal, including the hard man provoking the, the Aussie player, Bejic, who then conceded the foul because he got a bit knocked over the whole thing, from which the move developed, which saw Messi scoring. Yeah, a side of Messi you don't see too often, really. Um, and yeah, it's it's a it's a bit of a cliche we were discussing it earlier, but I think Messi is one of the few players on the pitch who could actually score that goal. It was just so frustrating for Australia. That was exactly the type of goal that they were that they were trying not to concede, and they were doing that really well. I was I was quite impressed with how with how disciplined they were. But it's literally half a yard, half a second. I think the ball goes basically through three players, including Suter's legs. Yeah. Fantastic moment. That was perhaps the moment for this Cinderella side. The clock struck midnight and struck it hard. Shortly after, it was Julian Alvarez who scored Argentina's second, pouncing on uh, Matt Ryan's mistake after Rodrigo de Paul had put the press on Michael. It's been interesting this World Cup because it feels like there's more teams who are trying to play out and they're trying to get their goalkeeper to do, you know, advanced things with his feet. But it feels to me like there's just not the cohesion you have at club level. There's not the understanding at the back. And even though that was just an individual error, it wasn't about two uh, teammates not communicating. I just can't help feeling there's going to be an even bigger goal at this World Cup that comes from a goalkeeper dallying on the ball in his own box. I mean, we did have it in the last World Cup final, actually, with Hugo Lloris's error, but that was a consolation goal. Um, but yeah, it was... Um, it was unfortunate. There was, a, I mean, in the early game, US uh, goalkeeper Matt Turner had a couple of nervous moments, I thought, with the ball at his feet. And he just constantly sensed that it might be about to happen in this World Cup. Mm. Well, Australia tried it themselves a couple of times on uh, Emi Martinez. And indeed, even though Argentina were kind of playing on a completely different level to Australia for most of the game, there were a couple of moments when you thought, my goodness, Oz are going to open this up again. I mean, they get a goal back. And then with pretty much the last kick of the game, they very nearly equalised. Yeah, well, there was the Behic run earlier when he took on four, five players, <laughs> shaping up to be one of the one of the all-time World Cup goals. It, it was that good. Uh, yeah, late chance for Qual, uh, Newcastle bound, and just couldn't quite squeeze. In fact, it was a really good save from Emmy Martinez. Mm. Um, you've got to give credit to Australia. I, I, I don't mean to sound uh, patronising when I say they're probably the most spirited team we've seen at the tournament so far. You know, if you look at their XG combined in four matches it's not as much as Romelu Lukaku's second half XG for Belgium uh, the other night so the, you know they've definitely squeezed as much out of themselves as they could have and you know there are a lot of players here who, who just don't ever play in these type of games I was looking at some of their next opponents when they when they get brought back down to earth uh, in Scotland and Italy and England they're playing the likes of Livingston, Motherwell, Cardiff so yeah, they, you know they they live the dream, I think, and um, hopefully raise the the profile of the game back home, which is one of their sort of ambitions for, for the tournament, and I'm sure they've done that. Yeah, well, they gave us a lot of enjoyment. By the same token, Michael, there has been a a narrative with Argentina that they started in shocking fashion and then begun to show signs of life, begun to show the real Argentina and. I guess you could see parts of today's game as part of that, but then again, they were facing technically the worst team in the last sixteen. Yeah, that is probably true. I thought it was interesting how defensive they went, actually, um, when they're forced to make a, a substitution, um, bringing off um, uh, Papu Gomez and brought on Martinez as a, a fifth defender. I mean, 
they can play, but they're also quite, uh, I think, a very aggressive team. Um, they defend well when they have to. They do the dirty stuff. They get in last-ditch blocks. Um, and Martinez, of course, made that, that brilliant last-ditch tackle on on uh, Behic when he, he went through. So, yeah, they've, they've got two sides to them. They've got a couple of fantastic technical players, but I think more than anything, they are quite quite rugged. And I think that might be more obvious when they play better teams who arguably might outplay them technically. But yeah, I just think Argentina can dig in more than most of the uh, the favourites. All right. Well, one of those better teams, of course, might well be Netherlands, who they will be facing next Friday after the Netherlands defeated USA Saturday afternoon 3-1. We'll talk about that game next. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by LifeScore Bet, the home of squads. Squads is a weekly free-to-play game. You reveal five players across the week which make up your squad and you can earn cash each time they score in the selected games. The cash amount is decided by LifeScore Bet's prize wheel and can range from 10p up to £50 per goal, which you can spend once the final player is revealed. Find out more and play squads for yourself for free at LifeScoreBet.com or by downloading the LifeScore Bet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only and full terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. All right, Netherlands 3, USA 1. From Memphis to Dumfries in 60 minutes. <laughs> Marco, you, you were at this game. I was, yes. It was... Um, I actually really enjoyed it, technically. Yeah? I think... Um, of all the stadiums here, the Califa is not great. It's it's an athletic stadium with a you know a big space between the pitch and the fans, which I think you can tell on TV. And I must say, the atmosphere was was quite disappointing. But as a game, I thought it was really interesting. Two sides with completely different approaches, some really good goals, lots of incident, a couple of missed chances. Uh, I thought both games today actually were fantastic. I mean, if the rest of the tournament continues in in that kind of style, I think we'll be in for a real treat in the knockout stages. Have the Netherlands now turned up? I think so. I always got the impression that they were going to be a little bit better against teams who came onto them a bit. I mean, they're playing a very similar way to how they did under Van Hal in 2014, which is completely the opposite, really, of what you associate with Van Van Hal football. It's it's reactive, it's counter-attacking, it's depending on a couple of individuals with pace to do the damage on the break. Um, I mean, they scored that wonderful opener, which was, I suppose, a more a typical... Van Hal goal when you look at the, the style of football he likes throughout his career but in general I do think they basically want to play on the break and against the US they were playing against a team who I think do want to dominate not necessarily in possession but certainly in terms of their pressing and when the Dutch broke past that first press they were really dangerous I mean it's only the second game this tournament that Depay has played alongside Gakpo up front but they had so much speed and and actually I thought Van Hal did quite well to make a, a clever change at half time because he brought on um, Bergwijn 
who was essentially a third attacker. I mean, if you're 2-0 up and you bring on an extra attacker, it says something about your intent, and that intent was to offer more on the break. I think they were the better side, um, technically, tactically, and more than anything else, just in terms of finishing. I mean, if, if Pulisic puts that chance away five minutes in or whatever it was, then we've probably got a different game. Absolutely. There was a, seemed to be a big divide of opinion among uh, US supporters, whether the USMNT had been taught a lesson and had been naive, essentially, or whether it was just came down to lack of a proper finisher. Yeah, there is that. They made some really, really daft mistakes for some of the goals. I mean, that that first goal, I've seen some people say that it was it was it was poor defending from the US to kind of allow them to sweep through. But mm. it, was, it was pretty much perfection, really, from start to finish. Um, the Dutch have never scored a goal with as many passing sequences in in the World Cup ever. And when you think of some of the some of the teams that they've um, they've had over the years, that's pretty impressive. So twenty passes, and you mm. mentioned defensive lapses. One one of them would be uh, Tyler Adams who gets a bit, I think, mesmerised by the Netherlands passing. And, and meanwhile, Memphis Depay kind of steals behind him and finds a, a, an ocean of space, much like the one Michael's currently sitting in, uh, in which to, <laughs> to score the first goal. Michael, it was a special goal, surely. I thought it was brilliant, actually. It's the most kind of enthused I've been about anything. I was just delighted to witness it. It was brilliant. And I know there's, you know, you can find some examples of passing moves that lasted longer in terms of actual number of passes. There was that famous Argentina goal against Serbia Montenegro in 2006, which I think was 35 passes or something like that. But a lot of goals like that, the first 20, 25 passes are kind of irrelevant and under no pressure. Whereas I thought almost every pass in this move had a real purpose, whether it was playing out from the press or breaking through the press or, of course, playing the final pass at the end of it. It, it was just brilliant. And it was, I think, quite out of keeping with much of what the Netherlands have done in this tournament. I wasn't really expecting that from them. Um, but yeah, fantastic teamwork. And I think the US, they did make mistakes, not just in that goal, but in the whole game. I mean, some of the defending, you can probably say about every goal, I think particularly the third goal, the defending was really poor. But I just thought it was a really good game. I thought it was a game where you know, the US turned up and, and wanted to dominate and wanted to play and wanted to force the issue. And I think that is that is the right way to play for them long term. It's a it's a very young squad. I think the second youngest in the in the tournament after Ghana. And obviously they're working towards the World Cup in three and a half years' time. They need extra players. They certainly need a number nine. I think that's the big weakness. But overall I've I've been really impressed with the way that they played in this tournament in in pretty much all four games. Watching the Dutch opening up the US side did it make you wonder a little bit more about why England so struggled to break them down? Are the Netherlands just that much better aside? I don't think so necessarily. I think the US just produced a better performance in that game for me. They didn't, okay. didn't quite turn up today. It was interesting to see um, Marco van Basten quoted today. I don't know if you've seen it. He said, uh, two great goals. The rest is something to cry about. Um, as a football lover, I ask myself, what am I looking at? Zero initiative. Which is, I'd be interested to you know to kind of see and hear what the rest of the the Dutch media and and fans think of the football they're playing. I mean, it's it's pretty effective, and I personally I'd have them as slight favourites to to go through against Argentina. Um, I also think it's worth mentioning the Dutch keeper Nopper, who's one of the stories of the tournament. You know, obviously coming in for his debut, and but he was very he was he was crucial today because he made that really good save from Christian Pulisic early on, mm. and then there was another one in the second half where uh, there was a through ball to Hadji Wright, and he's he's. It looks like he's through on goal. You can't even see the keeper coming off his line on the screen, and then literally he's, he's there within half a second to claim at his feet. Really, really important save. I think there might have been two one at that point. So yeah, 
great story. Um, if people don't know, you know, he's, he's out in here playing for Hirenveen and uh, hadn't won a cap before the before the first game of the tournament and he's been one of the best keepers so far. Mm. Had you right, as you say, it had got to 2-1. Had you right scoring that, that goal with a training ground move, Michael? <laughs> I, I Honestly, I actually don't know what happened. I, I, I like we don't get great replays. Okay, in, in the press Tim, box. can you can you can you tell Michael what happened? The finish in particular. Yeah. Well, it, it looks it looks like he's trying to flick it in with the inside of his Is of he his not, heel. I thought it just um, bounced off him. He's facing away from goal. This is what I understood. He's facing away from goal. The ball comes into him, and it just bounces off his foot over his head and over Noppert's head. I thought that's what he was trying to do, but he got it all wrong. Oh, because his 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 foot's at the wrong trajectory. Right. Um, but I think that's why that's why it is aimed goalwards because that's what he was trying to do. I just thought he got it all wrong, and that's well, he why he was trying really, to do I, that. I, I, I mean, to, I, it's it's a shame that um, it's a shame that it wasn't the winning goal because he'd have to lie about his intentions for the rest of his life. Whereas, right. Whereas now he's probably going to get forgotten about. But it was it was an extremely unusual finish. I don't think I've seen one like that before. Okay, Michael. Let's talk about the most surprising moment though at the Khalifa. A saffron from Republica who turned up before the game to sing, well, I mean, ready to go. What what, what else was she going to do? First Chesney Hawks and now this. Is, is there one of these at each game or we just don't hear about it? Yeah, there's also been a, a French guy who comes along and plays a cover of Are You Gonna Go My Way by Lenny Kravitz. Um, and I I don't know who he is, but he, he was a... So these these guys they tend to make multiple appearances. So Republica, uh, sorry, so Saffron from Republica mm. did both games tonight. Oh, um, I was sat alongside Jules for the third of the performances I saw from uh, from the French uh, French fella and did ask Jules who he was, and he did not know. So oh. um, must be about as famous as Saffron is in. Uh, it wasn't Philippe Claire, was it? No, sadly not. That would have been uh, entertaining. Hmm. I must say, I was in the toilets when Saffron started, and I I. Don't mean to be rude, but I honestly thought it was some kind of karaoke performance from uh, a kind of adjoining room or something because it wasn't it wasn't particularly true to the original. I think it's fair mm. to say. But who, who's who's booking these these nineties? But is, is 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 Terry Christian out there? Kind of get, get, getting on the phone. <laughs> and, and 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 who's next? Mr. Wazzo was my was my choice. They could get remember that yellow puppet. Yeah, was that nineties? Nods along. I think it was late nineties. Yeah. Yeah, yeah ni- ninety nine. I reckon. Okay. Maybe two thousand. All right. Meantime, USMNT on a more serious note, pack their bags and head home to prepare, as you say, for co-hosting the next World Cup. Before he made his way to the airport, Paul Tenorio joined us for some parting thoughts on America's tournament. Is it fair to say that the USMNT got taught a lesson, Paul, in that game? And if so, what was it? For me, if there's, if there's one thing they take away, it's that they have to be more ruthless in the final third. They have to be more exact in front of goal. They have to put away their chances. And in this World Cup, they didn't. Through qualifying, they didn't. Some of that is about the personnel that they have or they don't. They're, they're lacking that number nine. But some of that also is about sharpness in those key moments and and without those that ability to punish teams you're you're going to always have to survive on the edge and and tonight against a good team that that punished the US when they had their moments uh, it was the difference in the game USA's starting strikers with no goals in six shots and just one on target 
across the four World Cup matches. So the hunt is on now for a number nine for your next tournament. Is it the source of much debate in the States as to why a nation that the size of America hasn't produced somebody more effective? Sure. I mean, I think I think we know already that there was a sort of lost generation of American soccer players that led directly to missing the World Cup in, in 2018. Um, you know, one of the players who we felt was going to be a part of the cycle who ended up not kind of maintaining that form to stay in the picture for the World Cup was Josie Altidore. I think a lot of people were hoping that he could he could make it through this cycle and be that guy. And, and, you know, even going into this World Cup, there were questions, obviously, of who Greg Berhalter was going to bring. Ricardo Pepe was a forward who had a, a little bit of form and then went to Augsburg and didn't score for a year and went to Holland and started scoring. And ultimately, Greg Berhalter left him off his roster. And he said at the time, you know, maybe that isn't the right decision. You know, maybe after the World Cup, we'll look back and say, I should have brought Ricardo Pepe and he'll have the attitude that I should have brought him. I think certainly those questions will be asked considering the lack of production at that number nine position. Um, but even when you look into the youth ranks right now, there's not a clear striker that's that's emerged. Um, granted, this is this is again, this is a team that, you know, the, the players we are watching on the field today are 24, 23, 21, 20 years old. There's a lot of young, bright attacking talent. But I think the, the big question around this next cycle and, and ahead of 2026 will be, you know, can there be a, a striker that emerges from that next generation? And certainly you hope that that this country can can produce that. They've done it in the past. There have been forwards who have gone on and competed on big stages, whether you go all the way back and you look at Brian McBride or you look at Clint Dempsey or even Josie Altador on, you know, when he put on a U.S. jersey was was a pretty efficient goal scorer. But um, right now, I think that's, that's going to be the question that dominates the next few years as the U.S. tries to find that guy who can, who can step up and be counted on. And as we wrap up then the U.S.'s uh, participation in, in, in the Qatar World Cup, what, what marks out of 10 would you give them in Qatar? You know, I think I would say it's probably a solid seven. Even with the disappointment of tonight's result, I thought that there were moments throughout this tournament where the U.S. stepped up in, into the big challenges when they needed to. They, they were the better team, I thought, for a good portion of the game against Wales, certainly against England um, for the first half against Iran and, and then understandably had to defend as Iran threw everything forward to try to stay alive in the tournament. And when I look at this game against the Netherlands, I, I see the difference between a team that is mature, that has uh, experience on the field, that knows how to punish people. And you know, what strikes me is in the mix zone after the game, Tim Ream, 35 years old, he, he upped the average age of this team by about a year all on his own. And he talked about how after the game he stood on the field and he, he just absorbed what it meant to him to be at the World Cup at, towards the end of his career. And, and, you know, would he feel satisfied uh, with his career? And he, do, he does. He feels like he, he left everything on the field in his entire career and that he hoped to transmit that feeling to these young players that... Nothing is guaranteed that you have to embrace every moment you get. And I think when, I, when you consider that, that message and how young this team is, I think you give them a, a solid grade because they seemed to embrace the moments. And yes, they're, they're not there yet um, to, to kind of get to that next round, to get back to the quarterfinals for the first time in two decades for the U.S. Um, but I think they did a very good job for how young they are. And I think they've given the American people something to be optimistic about and, and to have some momentum ahead of 2026.
Paul Tenorio. Here's a bit of Dutch commentary. See how much of this you can understand. Listen. Na Blind. Blind heeft alle tijd. Komt een voorzet naar de tweede paal. De Vries, ja, hier. Ja, 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 ja. Assist van Daily Blind. En Denzel zijn de wingbacks vandaag. Het is het feest van de wingbacks bij Nederland. Tim. Wingbacks. Denzel Dumfries. I mean, as far as sort of complete performances, uh, one goal, two assists, clearance off the line as well, which, which was an important moment. Just a, another example of the really poor defending from the US for that, for the, the, the volley from Blind's cross. I mean, Blind is just allowed to put it over and he's completely unmarked. I mean, it's a nice finish, but still. Yeah, one goal, two assists, only the third Dutch player to ever uh, be involved in three goals in a game before at World Cup. And yeah, he was he was excellent, him and... Jao Cancelo will be the, the two sort of impressive fullbacks for me so far in terms of output. Um, yeah, game changer tonight. Okay, and you have the Netherlands' slight favourites over Argentina for next Friday. What do you think, Michael? I can see it being quite a scrappy game, actually, despite the fact tonight's were both very good. I just think Argentina are quite cautious with the use of possession and, like I say, quite physical and aggressive. I think the Dutch probably tend to play on the counter-attack, so... Yeah, I must say the game in 2014 between them wasn't particularly good, was it? And I um, I do think the Dutch play in quite a similar way. Actually, Argentina probably play in quite a similar way. So, yeah, I'd, I'd if you offered me one goal in that game, I'd probably take it, to be honest, <laughs> judging from the last one. All right. Well, that's coming up next Friday. Of course, before that, two more knockout games on Sunday. They are France against Poland and England-Senegal in the evening. So let's move on to those next. Incredible game. When they play with a false nine, it changes everything. A false nine, eh? What's that then? Well, it, it's um, <laughs> you, you know, it, it's what well, he's, he's a nine, but he's not really a nine in the area. And uh... oh, sorry, I just got to take that. Urgent football question? Call the Athletic Emergency Football Hotline 0800 433 433. News, insights, analysis. The Athletic. Know the game. Love the game. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Sunday's action, everybody. France, Poland, yes, at three o'clock. Seven o'clock UK time. Meanwhile, it's England against Senegal. And the winners of those two games will then meet each other in the quarterfinals, I'm guessing, next Saturday. That makes sense. 
England-Senegal. That's the runners-up at the European Championships against the winners of the African Championships, which is exciting. Tim, which channel is it on? It's on ITV, which is which is very bad news. Why is that bad news, Tim? So they have uh, a horrendous record when it comes to showing uh, England games at a major tournament, uh, particularly at World Cups. So they're since 98 in France... Rough numbers here, but you can you can read the very specific numbers online in an article. I've got them right here. What actually. I wrote um, from your article. Yes, uh, BBC. They've shown England sixteen times at World Cups, with twelve wins coming in those games. That's a win rate of seventy five percent. Yes. ITV have had a roughly similar number of games shown. Fifteen. How many wins, Tim? Three. Two. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a uh, that's a win percentage of thirteen percent. Uh, but I got slightly oh. confused, slightly confused there because um, there, there was there's one game that was screened on both. Which, oh, which sometimes you count that, sometimes you don't. Wow, so. that's like a Schrodinger's cat game. If a game is being shown on both, all right, uh, it's probably worth us previewing the game, even if it is on ITV. We'll be hearing from Demba Bar on Senegal's chances very shortly. How about that? He just rang up. I said, right, then we'll squeeze you in. First, though, Michael, let's talk about England. They finished the group stage with the best record of all the 32 teams. They were joint top scorers in the group stage, and they haven't even had Harry Kane get a goal yet. Is there much more to come from this side? I don't know if there's more to come, uh, but I think they start this game as favourites. I don't think too much will change from the group stage. I think Southgate is happy with the players he's selecting. I think there could be a change of system to a back five later in the competition if England get there, but I can't really see a need to do it against Senegal. And yeah, I think England starts as strong favourites. Senegal so far have been, I think, very well organised. They're good at making the opposition play badly, I'd say. They're quite scrappy. They can nullify a team's main threat quite well, I think. But it just feels to me like England should have enough. Um, I think they've got the pace at the back to cope with with the way that Senegal attack. And I think quality down the flanks will probably be crucial because Senegal block up the midfield really well. But yeah, so far I think England's best football has often come down the flanks with the, the full-backs and whoever plays out wide. So yeah, it's, it's by no means an easy fixture for England, but I think it would be a, a real blow if they went out against... Uh, against the Senegal team. Well, I'm sure that the Lions of Taranga feel the same way about their competition as well. In fact, let's hear now from former Newcastle and Chelsea striker Demba Barr, who told us first of all about his memories of Senegal's last great knockout stage run back in the 2002 World Cup. <laughs> What was it like back then when when you were a young player? What was what was the impact uh, watching Bouba Job and Sissé Hadjouf, watching them in that World Cup for you? The impact was big because uh, they actually helped me uh, know very early in my in my life and in my career that if I make it as a pro, that my number one choice would be playing for Senegal and not for France, for example. And they have had a big impact on how I saw the game, the African football, and yeah, and the love also for the for the badge, you know. So that was a big, big impact in my career, I would say. So the success that Senegal's currently having will have a similar impact, 
one hopes on another generation of, of players. How important is it that that you come into this clash as African champions? It's um, it's right what you say. You know the impact that uh, that uh, the kids of today are having on the future generation is big, and I hope it's going to help us also get the best players because. Uh, whenever we have uh, players that have double nationalities, whether it's French and Senegal, whether it's Italian, Senegal, or whatever, they are tempted on choosing European teams because of the history, because of also, we have to be honest, the value of European players are different than the value of, of African players. So for some of those that are choosing the European uh, nationality, they're also thinking uh, on, their, on, their, on their career and how much money they can make also, not all of them, but some of them, I'm saying. But uh, the likes of Sadio Mane and Ganagay and, uh, and Edouard, Edouard Mendy and Khalidou Koulibaly and all of those, they're having a big impact on the youngest generation now. And the uh, football also is growing fantastically also in Africa. So uh, I believe in the future we will, uh, we will have the best players representing us in terms of the double nationality, you know. And uh, Sunday games is going to be like, um, you know, it's very important for us to prove that we are a big team, you know, for us to to stay up there in the in the in the FIFA ranking and to prove that we are we are, we deserve it. Sadio Mane is second in the Ballon d'Or voting out for this game. Adrissa Gay is out as well. How confident are you, or how concerned are you about Senegal's prospects without those two key players? I'm wanted that I am as confident as I would have been if Sadio was in. Right, because it's not the case, but I'm still much confident that we can uh, we can threaten um, England. You know, we know in the in the in the small co- in the small competition like this. I mean, when I say small in terms of the amount of games, because obviously it's the biggest competition is the biggest competition in the world. But um, when we have such an amount of game as six, seven, eight, you know, games, we often see that the teams that defend very well they get a bigger chance. You know of winning of winning a title, as I always say. You know, uh, strikers win games and defense win title at the end of the day. And uh, and the the defensive stature that we have uh, in Senegal have been, have been put in place uh, by the coach for the last seven years since he's been here. And since he once in a meeting said that uh, Atletico Madrid was his uh, favorite team, I knew that this team would have a very good defensive. Uh, performances throughout the years and we show that you know and tomorrow is going to be another game where I believe that we're going to defend strongly we're going to fight we're going to give our life and offensively I think we have some threat to be able to um, to damage uh, England even though not having Sadio is a big blow and not having Ganagay also defensively is is also a big blow because he knows he knows the high level he's been playing in Paris for a couple of years uh, for more than a couple of years, he played in Paris and uh, and he knows the high level of football and the intensity. And uh, he also knows English football because his, uh, his two spells in, uh, in Everton have taught him a lot about, uh, about what England is about. I think it's going to be a tight game. I believe if we manage to score one, we got, we're just going to defend for our lives, you know. Uh, because once again, we are not the team and the coach uh, strategy is not the one who he wants to keep the ball, you know what I mean? Even though we have the players to do it, but he doesn't like to do it. So uh, I think we're just going to defend for our lives. So if we manage to score first, good luck. Okay. <laughs> and if it goes to penalties, you must feel pretty confident as well. If it goes to penalty, goodbye England.
<laughs> you know, we're just going to press on the button of, and the history will happen within the last 18 months to just hurt them and damage them where it hurts. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, it's all fine because they are, they are big players and I believe that they can overcome um, those situations. But um, it's, it's difficult because sometimes people don't realize, but it can be traumatic for someone, you know. And if we are talking serious, it can be really traumatic for someone. Well, yeah, I think some of the England players know that all too well. Denver, many thanks for joining us this evening. And, uh, well, best of luck with the game. Thank you very much. Best of luck to you too. What do we think, guys? Can England unlock this Atletico-esque Senegal defence? I think it, I think it'll be a struggle. Um, the Dutch found it difficult to break them down in in their first game of the tournament. I don't think England will underestimate Senegal. I don't think they tend to underestimate any team really under under Southgate. You know, like we've seen in the past. Um, I'm definitely going to avoid Twitter for an hour before kickoff when Southgate inevitably um, picks a more cautious team and everyone goes mental. Um, I, I think he might. He, there's a chance he might play three at the back because their main threat would be look like Ismail Assar. With his pace cutting in from the left, uh, I think you'd want Carl Walker in to try and negate that. And you may think three at the back's the, the best way to go. But the, the biggest thing or the di biggest difference for England in this tournament for me is, is the bench options and, and how many of their attacking players really look in form and look like they can change a game coming off the bench or, or starting. You know, Saka, Foden, Grealish, Rashford, Sterling, Madison maybe. He, he, might, he might come in tomorrow against a, a low block if England are struggling. So... The options there, um, that's massively in, in England's favour and, and I, I don't think they'll need penalties to beat them. I mean, there are lots of options there for Southgate. Uh, less so for Aliou Sissi, particularly with Sadio Mane out of the picture. Here's a funny thing, though, Michael. Africa Cup of Nations group stages, they had Sadio Mane. They only scored one goal and it was a penalty. Without him at this tournament in three games, they've scored five and all from different scorers as well. So what does that mean? Yeah, I do think do you think there's a pattern sometimes that international teams are too reliant on one player, um, and when he's out, sometimes others step up. I mean, I don't think it's been a it's a completely different subject to know, but I don't think it's been a bad thing for Brazil that they've had to cope without Neymar because in past tournaments when he's either been out or gone missing, they've kind of gone to pot. So um, yeah, maybe maybe he has unlocked uh, so his absence has unlocked a couple of other players. I mean, they are a good team even without him. They did look good in the group stage. I think even the game they lost against the Netherlands, they were pretty much the Netherlands equal in it. Um, so, yeah, uh, England won't take them lightly. But I, I do think it will be... I can imagine it being quite a scrappy game. And you mentioned Kane hasn't scored so far. I think he's particularly important for, for England because I think there will be a lot of kind of crossing and, and balls in from wide positions. And, I mean, Kane didn't score in the group stage of the Euros, I think I'm right in saying, and then came up with a big one against Germany in, uh, in the second round. So, uh, yeah, England might need something similar. OK, that game coming up at 7 o'clock UK time. Whoever wins it will meet the winner of France against Poland, which is played at 3 o'clock. Poland, uh, Michael, you saw Poland against Argentina. What was that like? <laughs> I mean, very strange. Poland were remarkably negative and then for the first half hour just decided not to uh, pick up any more yellow cards and relied on the result from the other game going their way I, I don't think they're a great team actually Poland I think they were actually a little bit lucky to even qualify for the competition because if you remember obviously Russia got kicked out of that funny playoff system 
And then they had the advantage of, of playing Sweden, who I think had gone to extra time in the first game uh, of that playoff. So were quite exhausted four or five days later, whereas Poland were completely fresh. Um, yeah, I, I haven't really seen any cohesion from them, really. They've got some very good players, obviously Lewandowski, but Zielinski is a really good player. Szymanski I like, but I, I'd be really surprised if they managed to to get past uh, France in this one. Mm. But uh, Mbappe, Mbappe against Matty Cash, I think, is the uh, the battle we're all looking forward to. Absolutely. I mean, the Poles are going to be looking forward to everything, no? Because it's their first game in, in the knockout stages of the World Cup for 36 years, Tim. You, you say that, but apparently they're absolutely hating it back, back home in Poland. Uh, There's a really interesting piece in The Guardian today looking at the media reaction to their progression. Yeah, first time in the knockout since 1986, but... Uh, one uh, particularly interesting passage here from uh, a Polish journalist who wrote, we will not tell our grandchildren by the fireplace years later about how the Polish national team progressed from the group. 2022 World Cup. Um, and yeah, one one headline screamed, let's play ball. Mm. Um, and a- apparently um, they're saying uh, Lewandowski should be ashamed. And um, a lot of, criti- cr- lot of criticism... Um, Aimed at Zielinski, actually, who's who, who was called invisible. Oh, um, I bet no one's having a go at Wojciech Szczesny though, because he's been great. He has, yes, he's been. Without him, they arguably wouldn't be wouldn't be through. I mean, along with Australia and South Korea, they're probably the weakest teams that have put, that have progressed through. And it's just hard. It's hard to look past. It's really hard to look past France. It's, you really? can't you can't really put a case forward for Poland. I, I don't see them changing their style and appeasing the. The supporters and the media, um, but I don't think their defence is good enough to hold France at bay either. Not good enough to hold France at bay, Michael. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Tim. It'd be a huge surprise if Poland went through. I think another thing to look forward to would be the battle between maybe the most old school number nine left in the competition in Olivier Giroud and Camille Glick, who's uh, just a real battling warhorse of a defender. Um, I think that's just going to be really physical in lots of shirt pulling and backing in and all that kind of stuff which uh, once in a while I think can be quite enjoyable absolutely very good Michael well we'll uh, look forward to that and so much more in the two round of 16 matches that Sunday has in store but that brings us to the end of today's totally at the World Cup many thanks to everyone who participated including Paul Tenorio and Demba Barr and Tim Spears and Michael Cox Michael Best of luck getting out of uh, that place that you're in. Yeah. yeah. I can just about see the exit door over there. Okay. Um, looking forward to it. How long will it take you to get back to your accommodation? Uh, maybe 40 minutes on the uh, on the bus. It's, You'll um, be on a bus? Yeah. It's the opposite end of town, really. It's, okay. When you're talking... In the context of historical World Cups, it's a very small place you know, to get from stadium to stadium. But actually, it's still quite a big city. You forget that when you just have to go home at one in the morning. But mm. uh should be should be in bed by half one, which is uh, an early finish for me on this tournament. All right. Live it up. Savour every moment, Michael. Drink we'll it do. in. <laughs> you know, to the extent that that's permitted. <laughs> Very good. Many thanks, then, for staying up for, for us tonight. And you as well, listener. We're back in 24 hours with another Totally at the World Cup for now from all of us here. It's goodbye. 
You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by LiveScoreBet. Get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.